You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Conversion means if your faith is genuine, it's radical enough that you abandon your loyalty to the people and the associations you already had, and now your loyalty is to a new king and a new set of people. You are now loyal to the beliefs and the practices of Jesus Christ and his people. You're no longer loyal to the beliefs and the practices and the education and the political goals and the purposes and the aims of the unbelieving community you grew up with. A good example we have of loyalty would be diehard sports fans. They spent all their time checking stats, watching games, and researching players, even in the offseason. Sometimes they're even ready to fight a fan of a rival team to defend the honor of their own. In today's message, Pastor Tom very seriously reminds us that when we convert to Christianity, we're pledging our loyalty to Christ as Lord of our life. We're saying that everything we say, do, and think from this point on is going to be for Him. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 as he continues his message. Yes, I am trying to convert you. When God spoke the words, let there be light, do you think after God Almighty said, let there be light, there would still just be darkness? Light didn't have a choice in one sense. There was going to be light as soon as God said, let there be light. And when God says to a soul, let there be life, there's going to be life as well. This is what Peter meant in his first epistle, 1 Peter 2.9, when he said to believers, God called you. God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That call was really a divine summons with the authority and the power of Almighty God. Make no mistake about it. Your conversion and my conversion only could happen if he gave us a divine summons. And that leads us lastly in our study of conversion to the outcome, the last component, the outcome. And that's component number seven. If you're still taking notes, that's in our outline. Component number seven of conversion, and that is this. Listen, in verses 40 and 41, leaving the world, I don't mean dying, leaving the system of the world, leaving the unbelieving world, leaving your attachment to the unbelieving world and joining the people of God in the church. Look at verses 40 and 41. And with many other words, Peter solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation, notice. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day they were what? Added. Added about 3,000 souls. Added to what? Added to the church. Added to the kingdom of God. Conversion means... If your faith is genuine, it's radical enough that you abandon your loyalty to the people and the associations you already had, and now your loyalty is to a new king and a new set of people. You are now loyal to the beliefs and the practices of Jesus Christ and his people. You're no longer loyal to the beliefs and the practices and the education and the political goals and the purposes and the aims of the unbelieving community you grew up with. You join God's people, and you join the church. Converted people cleave to their new relationship. What is it? Jesus Christ. What else? The people of Christ. The people of Christ are not an option. It's part of what you get when you get Jesus. You get the people of Jesus. You are no longer to be known as an Asian. You're no longer to be known as Hispanic or white or black. You are now a member of Christ's church, and that's the only identity you need. 
That is your family. That is who you are. That is your future. That is your race. That is your purpose. That is your mission. These Jews here made a radical departure from others. I'm sure there were many family squabbles. All the new converts on that day, all of them joined the church. Please notice. And to convince them, or at least some of them, that they needed to be saved and to get them truly converted. Please notice that Peter kept on preaching at them. Did you see that? Did you see that he kept on doing it? He urged them to be saved. That's an imperfect tense verb. It means he didn't just say it once or twice. He kept saying it. With many other words, it says. With many other words. This is the first of the many speeches that are recorded for us in the book of Acts. And this verse indicates that the writer of the book of Acts, who's Luke, did not record the entire speech. There were many other words. Do you see that? So Acts 2 is a condensed version of Peter's sermon. That probably means the rest of the sermons in the book of Acts are also a condensed version. Now, in case there's some of you out there that are wondering, why can't that preacher up there keep his sermons as short as Peter did? My friend, verse 40 says, Peter's sermon was a lot longer. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it takes a level of being uncomfortable and then feeling even worse before someone realizes how serious this is with God. It takes time to plow into a hard heart. That's the danger of people that sit under preaching and teaching in churches where they never get to the hard things. They get this idea that they're mature Christians, and they're not. They're busy in church. They may even have a title in church, but they're not being confronted with what God says. God says a lot of uncomfortable things. Sometimes it takes longer. Please notice the the text even lets us know what Peter's tone was like. You ever listen to movies from the Bible and you wonder if they're getting it right? I'm always listening to what do the preachers sound like in these little movies and cartoons. And they're always just too happy, in my opinion. They act like they're modern, you know, slap-happy people. Everything's cool, dude. Chill out, man. It says he solemnly testified. He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting. He was like a bulldog. He bit down and he wouldn't let go. Solemnly means seriously and with weight. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 42, it says, Jesus ordered the apostles to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. When we talk about eternity and eternal consequences and life is so short, of course we have to have moments where everything gets serious. For all of the people who think that preachers need to relate and be lighthearted and tell lots of stories and use lots of humor, please don't speak too much about sin and judgment. Our visitors won't come back. They need to understand that when the Holy Spirit got a hold of an apostle's tongue and produced apostolic preaching, it came out serious and it came out earnest. Too many preachers today want everyone to feel good. And do you know why, by the way? Because they want your money. Peter did not care how they felt. He wanted them saved. 
They were in the business of converting souls. Isn't that a serious business? Do you take your job seriously? When you go to work, is your job serious? Do the people at your job, you know, take it seriously? See all those guys in the Olympics and they're doing their one sport. They take it very seriously, don't they? Even that thing where they're pushing the thing on the ice, you know, and they're, they're cleaning it like that. And you look at that and they're so serious about it. They're like, just a few more inches. Sorry, I don't mean to offend anyone. I mean, I would take the downhill seriously just because you're going 80 miles an hour and you don't want to die. This is the business of winning souls. Don't you think it's okay to feel some pain and sorrow to win people to the kingdom? Aren't you willing to put your friendships on the line? Aren't you willing to put your job on the line? Is your standard of living that important to you that you can't get a different job in a different smaller house if you have to because you took a stand for Christ and told them the truth? If you could hear the pain and the sorrow of souls in Hades today, would it change the way you work for souls' conversion? If you could compare that to the joy people have in paradise. And I don't mean this as an emotional argument. I mean this is just true. They're in pain and sorrow. Eternal issues, eternal outcomes, they're at stake. No wonder Paul's final appeal to Timothy was, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and by his appearing and his kingdom, all these things he heaped on this young man. Preach the word, he said. Be ready in season and out of season. There's no more serious business you have in your life. Peter was persistent with it. It said he kept on exhorting them. Preaching the gospel was never meant to be a stale presentation of facts. You don't do a good enough job if you just say point number one, point number two, point number three, point number four. Did you understand? Good, I've done my job. Look him in the eye and tell him, brother, you're going to die one day. You don't know that? You're going to die. What's going to happen to you? You're trusting in Mary. You're trusting in yourself. You're trusting in Muhammad. They can't help you. If we believe in Jesus, they should see in our eyes and in our tone a gravity and an urgency. You cannot joke people and relate people into the kingdom of God. They'll walk with you only so far and then they'll realize this is serious business and then they're done with you. Too many people think that evangelism is like this. Hey, have you tried Jesus yet? Jesus never gave anyone permission to try him. Jesus is the Lord over this world. He is the king of kings. He is coming back physically with great power and glory. The fact that he's waited 2,000 years is a tremendous amount of patience for him because he can come back at any moment and he can claim this world for his own and take up his throne in Jerusalem and rule over all the kingdoms of the world. What we're doing now is we're offering the nations Jesus' terms for surrender. They don't get to try him. They get to bow their knees before him and confess him as their king or die in his way. Psalm 2 says that. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son of God. That he, the Son of God, not become angry and you perish in his way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. Remember how it ends? How blessed are those who take refuge in him. Everybody in this world has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They either have a personal relationship with him as their judge or with him as their savior. 
If you want him as Savior, then his terms of surrender are your repentance of your entire life. Beloved, Peter's aim was so clear. Peter did not preach without purpose. He did not box without aim. His purpose that day is stated there in two words. Be saved. Be saved. He was trying to convert them. And Peter made no apologies for it. Be saved from this perverse generation, he said. Get out of this generation. Get out of this world. Get on to God's ark of safety, the Lord Jesus. Before it's too late and the flood of fire descends on you, for it won't be water this time. As the heartfelt cry of Ezekiel in Ezekiel thirty-three eleven says, As I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, he said. Turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? True men of God stand and preach the full hard truth of God, pleading for the people to respond so they don't perish along with a perverted world. That's our task also. God knows you and I live in a perverse generation just like Peter did. In Mark 8.38, Jesus said, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Notice, not the loving angels, the holy angels. Their generation was bad. Their generation crucified the Lord of glory. Our generation is bad also. Our generation mocks the Lord of glory. This generation on social media lectures the rest of society on everything from guns to gays, from capitalism to animal rights. And they're so pompous and arrogant in the way they judge other people. They shut their ears and act like their morality is so great while they break the commandments of God every single day. While they decry sin and others, their sin is mounting to the heavens and it sickens God. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3 puts it this way. How will you escape the wrath of God if you neglect so great a salvation in Christ? Many in our generation decry shootings in schools and want to blame everyone for it. But they give hearty approval, even with blessings, to slaughter the countless babies in the womb. Many in our generation scream for tolerance and they scream so loudly nobody else can get a word in edgewise. Hypocrites. Many in our generation celebrate homosexuality as some kind of a great thing. They're heroes, evidently, and they mock righteous marriages. Many in our generation fill the airwaves with filth, just utter filth. And they mock those who want to pray in a school. Many celebrate nakedness and lewdness. They're vain. And they mock modesty. Our land is so filled with lying and covetousness and exploitation. People pursuing vanity everywhere. You can't even walk into a drugstore without it saying, be vain. Sinners are celebrated as bold and daring, and the righteous who cried down sin are called haters. Yes, we do hate. We hate injustice, and we hate 
lewdness and we hate arrogance and we hate the perversion of God's beautiful gift of sex. And we hate gender confusion because God made two genders and we love God and love beauty and love what is righteous. Quit calling us haters because you're the haters. You hate truth and you hate God and you hate Christ and you hate his word and you hate everything that's righteous and straight and good and moral and wonderful. Quit lecturing us. We too need to be saved from this perverse generation because it rubs off on all of us. We started with confession because you need to confess sin because you know it's rubbed off on you and I know it's rubbed off on me. And I know I look at something on the internet sometimes and I'm like, Tom, what are you doing? I get angry at someone in my heart or I get jealous of someone coveting some nicer car they have and I say, what are you doing? You're conforming to the world. Get out of that. Be saved from this. Please don't, young people, please don't admire these singers and these dancers who flaunt themselves in the most arrogant manner. By the way, why can't someone score a touchdown now without throwing their chest out? Can't they just hand the ball to the people that block for them and say thank you? Is there anything wrong with that? Do you listen to the perverted comedians excusing them for saying this and that and that just to get a couple of laughs? Why do you have to listen to their perversion? Shut them off. Don't give them any ratings. The hypocritical politicians on both sides of the aisle quit fighting with one another. Ain't none of them really working for the kingdom of God in that sense. They can't. You can't bring the kingdom of God in with unregenerate people. Please don't listen to the unsaved media. They're talking heads. I keep asking myself, why is it the same people that keep telling us what to do? It's always the same people. And now we have so-and-so. We saw him last month and the month before. We saw her last time. Why is it? Who gets to decide who I listen to? Turn it off. I'll listen to who I want to listen to. What do they know about the character of God? Do you love their wicked movies? What does that express? A bunch of godless people sitting around and using their imagination to produce something godless. Why is the opinion of a Hollywood actor so important? Is it important to you? So-and-so believes such-and-such. The unsaved athletes. What do they know? We wouldn't let them teach our kindergartners here at church. I'm serious. We wouldn't. They wouldn't pass the entrance test. You know, we want to know what's their opinion. Ooh, so-and-so said such and such. That generation in Jerusalem that Peter preached to had cried out for the crucifixion of God in human flesh. Forty years after Peter preached this, that same city of Jerusalem was destroyed in the most violent kind of way by the Romans. Things got so bad inside the city walls, they began eating one another in cannibalism. They were starving to death. God judged that generation in a most severe way. You don't think that's going to happen here in America? 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? We're so excited. Hey, so-and-so said they're a Christian. Yeah, but they're living an unrighteous lifestyle. Oh, no, but they said that they're a Christian. I know, but they're living an unrighteous lifestyle. Oh, you know, no, but, but they, 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 said, they said the good thing about Jesus. I know, but they're living an unrighteous lifestyle. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. People today are deceived. I can have Christ and have the world also. No, you can't. 
neither fornicators. Do you know what that is? That's sex outside of marriage. So if you practice sex outside of marriage, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's what it says. Yeah, but I'm saved. No, you're not. You haven't repented. Neither fornicators nor idolaters. What's that? Worshiping any other God in any other religion. Nor adulterers. You know what that is. Nor effeminate. Includes things similar to transgenderism. Nor homosexuals. Actually, the word means that in Greek. Some have tried to say, well, it doesn't mean homosexuals. It actually does. That's why all these scholars wrote homosexuals and not some other word. Nor thieves. There's a lot of ways of thievery. Capitalism in some forms, unchecked, run amok, can steal in some cases. Nor the covetous. Ooh, covetous. Coveting's not that bad. It's one of the Ten Commandments. I say, thou shalt not murder and adultery. I say, what was the next one there? Stealing. Don't bear false. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, then his wife, then his ox. I've never coveted anyone's ox. I have to promise that. But today, there are other things that we put in there his computer, his patio, his Ferrari. Nor revilers, nor drunkards. You know what revilers are? That's what all those mocking people are doing on TV. Or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, such were some of you. In other words, if you're truly converted, you're no longer that way. Yes, you may stumble in it. Yes, you may get drunk once in a while. Yes, you may struggle with this sin, that sin, okay? None of us are perfect. We get that. There's forgiveness. We don't live a perfect lifestyle. But the course of your life is changed. It's not the perfection of your life. It's the direction of your life, Right? Our responsibility is to be very different. Philippians 2.15, prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. And that's what the community is all about in verse 41. They were all added to the church, to the company of believers. They banded together. They even counted the membership roles there, by the way. They knew there was about 3,000 of them. Notice that. Everyone was publicly baptized in the name of Jesus, and then everyone joined the assembly of Jesus. It didn't have a technical name there. It was the assembly of Jesus, the gathering of Jesus, the church. There were no private believers. In a very brief period of time, they went from rebels to repenters. They went from Christ rejectors to Christ embracers. They went from under the judgment of God to no condemnation in Christ Jesus. They went from owing a mountain of debt towards God to total forgiveness of every debt they had. They went from inside a condemned world and they got out and into the church of Jesus Christ. They came out the other side of the waters of baptism, so to say, and they entered into the fellowship of the saints. From now on, the story in Acts will be about the growth and the spread of the assembly of Jesus, the church of Jesus. More and more will get converted. More and more will come to Christ. I say to you, if you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, it is God's will that you be a member of a local church, a gospel-preaching local church. Because now this is your people. This is your group. This is your family. This is your race. And together now we form the distinct community, a community to showcase Jesus Christ and proclaim his excellencies until he comes. Father, thank you so much for this text on conversion. We pray you would work it in application in the hearts of your people. Bring the lost to believe. Help them repent this very day. 
Father, we also just thank you for the chance for parents to give testimony to the uh, faith that they have to bring up their children uh, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And thank you for the community of believers. It's your work, Lord God. You called us to yourself, and we give you all the honor and praise. Amen. Christianity is not something you just try. True Christianity is a serious matter. To convert is not just to add religion to your life, but it's to completely surrender your life to Christ, to turn from everything you once knew and follow Him as Lord. It's a matter of life or death. As Pastor Tom said, everyone has a relationship with God. The question is, will you know Him now as Lord? Or will you know him as a judge? Discover Hope is a listener-supported ministry, and we'd like to offer you the opportunity to be a part of sharing the gospel message. Would you join us in praying for our listeners? Pray that the love and grace of Jesus will be evident in each new broadcast and that many would come to know the hope of salvation. Thanks for praying. If you feel led to contribute financially to this ministry as well, you can do so by visiting hopebible.org and clicking the Giving tab at the top of the page. We appreciate every amount given and use it to continue producing the messages of Pastor Tom Leake that you hear on Discover Hope. We spent quite a bit of time recently studying conversion to Christianity as seen in the second chapter of Acts. We learned about its different components and benefits and ended with the realization that the outcome is entrance into a family known as the church. Join us next time on Discover Hope as we begin learning about the importance of the community of Christians that the church is and why we need to take part in it. There's so much more to learn from the book of Acts, so we hope you'll tune in next time. If you'd like to listen again to today's teaching or share it with friends and family, you'll find it online at hopebible.org. Thanks for joining us on Discover Hope.